have your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. We're gonna, we've been in the book of Philippians, we're walking through that, and we're actually going to step out of that book today and, and do a, a standalone message out of 1 Peter. And for two reasons, number one, some things I want to share today, but number two, uh, what we're going to be in in, first, in Philippians, I want to hit on Easter Sunday, because we're going to look next week at what forgetting what lies behind and looking to what's ahead. And so that's what we're going to talk about on Easter so if you, if you grew up in, in the church um, in the 90s, okay, evangelism was a big, was a big thing in the 90s. And, and today I'm going to talk about the idea of the pendulum of evangelism, the pendulum of evangelism, because we have this phrase that we'll leave today, uh, and we say it every week, be with people as sent people. That's how we will end our service. It's kind of our challenge for you of being with people, but your identity as someone that's sent out. And if you're in the 90s, the idea of what it, mean to be, what it meant to be sent in the, in the 90s in church was this idea of evangelism. And, and um, if we talk about a pendulum, let's go all the way to the left. And here is the 90s. If, if, if you didn't experience it, you all down here, our, our students are over here. There was this thing called the power team. Anyone remember the power team? They would take phone books and they would, big old dudes look like on roids, and they would rip phone books in half. And then they would go to schools and these big assemblies, and, and basically the, the message was, uh, this is what God will do to you if you don't repent. I don't know if that's right, but that's what I took away, okay? And so you had these big, you know, big muscle dudes that would go and do all these. They would bend like metal bars, and they would get a big crowd, and, they would, and then they would share the gospel. You have all kinds of, of and I call them kind of scheme-driven evangelism, big productions, or, you know, you walk up to someone and you say, hey, if you died tonight, are you going to go to heaven or hell? You know, that kind of just like in your face or the tracks, right? And there was one that looked like it was a, a, a like a hundred dollar bill. And so you would leave that and people like, oh, there's a hundred, oh, it's a track. Are you kidding? You know, it says, basically walks through how, you know, how to become a believer. There was the sales pitch evangelism where you kind of feel like, you know, we're going to get a youth group together. We're going to go out on a mission. We're just going to go walk up to people and we're just going to, hey, do you know Jesus? I want to share something with you. And to me, it always felt, it didn't feel natural to me. It was always kind of like, a, a, like I'm trying to dupe them into um, buying a, a phone plan or something like that is what I felt like. Um, but in that time, here's what happened, and maybe unintentionally. The idea of evangelism, which we'll just say is telling people about the, the, the gospel, the message of Christ, the idea of evangelism was left to professionals. So the average church person, the, and, and whether this was on intentional or not, was communicated, you bring your friends to these events, and the professional evangelism will save them. The professional evangelist. And that was the idea. And, and through the 90s, many of us grew up in that. And many of us, because we grew up in that, ha have ran the other way. So if this is the pendulum over here on the left, this idea of just like confront people with the gospel, all these cool schemes to get people in a room for the evangelists to share, then the other side of the pendulum is maybe where many of us are now. And we have this idea, and it's called, we have a catchy phrase, missional living. Right? And missional living, the idea is that we don't want to be these people over here because some of us saw some holes in that and some flaws in maybe people making emotional decisions because uh, they thought the muscle guy would tear them in half, not just the phone book. So I need to get saved. So we've pushed against that and we come over here and now the idea of missional living is, well, I just need to be a good person and kind of be cool and blend in with the culture because I want to live mission on mission with people. 
And we would use the term relational evangelism, meaning over here is just evangelism. Just share the message. Share as many people as you can. And we've swung over here and said, well, we think we should kind of be friends with them first, which makes sense. At least know them at a relational level. But then over here, we have many of you who have been um, living missionally and been in relational evangelism for three years that have never once said the word Jesus. And we have that really stupid phrase of, of preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Which is cute, right? But the problem to preach actually means to say something. Um, we have the idea of like, I just want to be a good neighbor to people. And if I'm a good neighbor and if I, if I, if I live good and I always have a smile on my face, then they'll just like, Jesus will just like, be real to them, and they'll, they'll like, yeah, I need, I need Jesus. I'm a good neighbor. Uh, you know, the idea of missional living is you, you're cool. You go, to, you go to Starbucks, you get your coffee. You go, uh, if you're into this, you go get a drink and have a beer with someone, and you just want to relate to them and show them, like, I can, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm still cool. I can still do this. But my tension is have we swung too far the other way where we do relationships all day long, but there's never that idea of, hey, um, the gospel and the gospel calls us all out of darkness and out of brokenness. And it's actually the gospel that changes things. Like, as, as well as great as I can say this, like, it's great that you live missionally and you're friends with non-Christians and all that. But that's not going to change anything. And I can do that all day long. But I've never, if, if truth is never brought in, I would argue, are we doing anything? So my tension, this idea of the pendulum, have we swung too far. And when we say be with people as sent people, what do we mean by that? I want to unpack that. First Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 9 is where we're going to be. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9. So we're going to look at the mission today. What are we supposed to be doing? But it's interesting. Mission comes out of identity. And in our culture, we're often defined by what we do. So, and I do the same thing. If I meet a, a, another guy, hey, my name's Daniel, I'll meet him. My, what's my first question? What do you do? Right? Because we are often defined by what we do. But it's interesting, when Peter's going Peter's to talk about what we do here in a second, but he's not going to start with what we do. He's going to start with who we are. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race. He's talking to believers here, those who have trusted Christ for salvation. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So before Peter is going to get to what we do, he's going to start with who we are. And if you're a believer in here, you've trusted in Christ for salvation, that is you. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now notice, it's individual, but it also has a corporate nature to it. See, you're not just, the, the gospel is not just about you and God and what God's done in your life. It's also about us together and what God is doing in us and through us as a community. And so he's going to talk about here, like, Paul, like Peter's going to say, listen, you are people, all of us are people who were separated from God, past tense. We were not a people. We were sinners. We were broken. But God has drawn us out of our brokenness 
And one, one pastor here said, God draws us out to draw us in. So he's drawn us out to now draw us in to be a people for himself. Look at some of the things he says. He says, you're a chosen race. A chosen race. Here's what that means. A group of people from all colors who are now one in Christ. Has nothing to do with your color. It has the idea of, of, of Jesus dying on a cross and now people who, who normally um, from all across the world would have nothing in common are brought together and say, no, you are one chosen race. One of the things that our attentions at Hill City, which I, I want us to always press into, we need to be a better picture of the gospel. I know it's Springfield, but we need to continually say, how can we be a more diverse culture, a more diverse group of people? He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now let's look at that idea of a priest. What was the priest's job in scripture? The priest's job was to intercede between the people and God. And so once a year, the priest would come and, and he would say, okay, all of, all of us have sinned. And he would take a lamb, he would sacrifice that lamb, and he would go behind the curtain. So picture this curtain here, and inside was the, where, where they, the tabernacle where they felt the presence of God was. And he would go behind the curtain, and all of you would watch him go behind so that he could offer sacrifice for your sins to intercede between you and God. Well, when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens to the curtain? It was torn in two, meaning you don't need a priest anymore. You don't need someone to intercede between you and God because the Bible says Jesus is the great high priest and now he's going to call you as a believer a priesthood. You have access to God. Listen to me. Ain't nothing special about me. I love to pray with you, but my prayers have no more power than yours do. You have access to God. The priest prepared the sacrifice for the people to meet God. And he says, now you, you are priest. He says, you're a holy nation. You are, we are who Israel never was. You are a holy nation called out. And he says that you are a, a, a holy nation of people for his own possession. And Think of that idea of possession. Like when you, when, when you said, like, I'm following Christ, you gave up your rights. You're not, your life is not necessarily yours anymore. It is now, now belongs to God, a people for his own possession. Now, all of this happened, all of these things, a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. These things happened to you, and it had nothing to do with you. Theologians call it passive righteousness. The idea that the only reason that we are a people chosen is because God in his mercy has said they are righteous because of Jesus' death on the cross, period. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't start coming to church to make God happen. No, God said because of Christ's sacrifice, you are righteous and now you are my people. And so now this process is once we are called a people of God, a holy nation, a possession, here's what God is doing. He is making us, changing us into who we already are. So we have an identity, a holy nation. The problem is I still have junk. And so the process of my life is now God 
changing me through a process of time to reflect who I already am, who my identity already is. So before Peter talks about what we're called to do, he starts with who we are, our identity. If you're in Christ today, you're a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a person, a people for God's possession. You belong to him. And it had nothing to do with you. All right, good. That sounds good. So now I get to go to heaven when I die, right? Like that, that's the Christian life. I say a prayer, I get saved. Well, now I get to go to heaven. Hallelujah. Well, let's sing all I saw the light again, right? And kind of celebrate. No, not yet. Because you're still on this earth. So God has, God has called you out. He's drawn you to himself, and now he has a mission for you. You're not in heaven yet, which means you're still here. God has something for you to do. He now has a mission for you. So we are people with an identity as people that are called out who now have a mission. It's not about, the Christian life is not about your sins being forgiven and then try to like live a good moral life so that you can get to heaven when you die. It's way bigger than that. We are called out for a bigger purpose. Look what he says. Let's go back to verse 9. Your chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may not go to heaven when you die. Hold on. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why has he changed us? Why has he called us out so that he can set us on mission, that we may proclaim the excellencies? We are saved not just from something, hell, but to something, Jesus and his mission. Now, we have a lot of you that like to study the Bible. That second part of verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellence. You're like, okay, okay, proclaim. Well, now, what is the Greek word of proclaim? Because here's what it is. Talk. I looked up the definition. To announce officially or publicly. Or to declare something one considers important with due emphasis. So, we are a holy people, people for his own possession, a people with an identity that we may not just go to heaven when we die, that we would be brought into a mission. And that mission, what is it? What's God's mission? To talk, to proclaim, to announce the excellent God that saved me out of darkness. That is the mission. That is what we are called into. We, we've talked about a lot recently, this idea of what does holiness mean? And holiness means set apart. And oftentimes, which is good, that we, we teach, like, be holy, be set apart from sin, which we should. We should walk away from sin. But holiness is not just being set apart from sin. It is being set apart to God and his mission. Jesus was holy, but Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was holy, but Jesus got down in the dirt with the woman that had just been caught in adultery. Jesus was holy, but Jesus walked up to the leper that no one would touch, and he touched the leper, and he said, I love you, I care for you. Holiness is not avoiding sin. 
Holiness is becoming like Christ and being called out to the mission that God has for us. So God draws us out of the darkness. He draws us in to himself and then he sends us out to the mission. My concern is a lot of us have went, he draws us out, he draws us in, period. Now I'll just try to be a good moral person until one day I can go to heaven. And the Christian life is bigger than that. Now some of you are like, oh man, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I thought I'd just, preacher told me, just say a prayer one day and I'd go to heaven when I die and I was just going to be a good person. And that's kind of what... Well, if that's the goal, then here's the deal. God would have taken you to heaven right when you said it, right when you became a believer. Like he's left us here because God has a mission. Which is why identity is so important. Many of you have never joined God's mission because you are still trying to appease God and pay for your own sin. And the idea that I'm up here saying you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. You're thinking, well, maybe, maybe other people, but not me. And you never feel good enough. And so your Christian life is I do all these religious things because maybe if I do enough things, then I can prove to God that I'm good enough and he'll love me. Stop. The one thing that will distract you from the mission is not understanding your identity. You are a chosen person of God because of Jesus' death on the cross, not your religious performance. So quit trying to perform to earn it. Like people that are not in freedom can't be set free for the mission because they're still trying to earn things. I use this analogy a lot when I talk to people. Um, any guys did tryouts, like do sports tryouts when you were a teenager? All of you just made the team, you're that good? Okay, I had to try out, all right? I had to try out. There's this thing about tryouts, if you've ever, if you've, those of you remember tryouts, no one has their best game during tryouts. Why? Because you've got all this pressure on you, right? You know the coach is watching, and you're trying to do everything right, and you're like so uptight, okay? And it's like, oh, I've got to catch the ball. I've got to, I've got to do everything perfect. And you don't play your best game during tryouts. Many of you are still trying out for the team. And you know, you kind of know that God has a mission for you. You'd love to step into that, but your identity, you don't feel that you're on the team yet, so you still feel you're in tryouts. And every week it's a tryout for you to decide, God, I'm going to show God that I'm serious about this. And you've never just, like, oh, I'm on the team. And the best players know they're on the team. They go out and they play free, and they play light, and they have a good time because they know they're on the team and they play really, many of you are still trying out. And that's why Peter starts with identity. And that's why we preach the gospel over and over and over because until we realize that God counts us righteous not based on what we do, we're never free to run and we're never free to do this thing. So God draws us out of darkness. And he draws us into himself, and then he sends us out on his mission, which we'll find out in a second what his mission is. So my, uh, my friend Max here, he's, uh, he coaches offense for a football team here. And so I was talking to him earlier at breakfast. I was like, hey, I'm going to care if I join your recruiting, like recruiting team and kind of go out and re recruit athletes. And, 
And here's, here's my, we had this conversation, here's, here's going to be my, kind of my uh, plea I'm going to make to all these athletes I'm going to try to recruit for you. Hey, we want you to come join the team. We think you are a great athlete. Like, we want you on our team. However, we're not going to play any games because there's a chance we could lose if we play. And um, we're actually not going to play because we don't want to get hurt. And we're going to give you a really nice uniform and you don't want to get that dirty. So um, we're not going to tackle or anything like that because we could get that uniform dirty. Uh, I want you to memorize all the plays. We're going to get together once a week and we're going to talk about all the plays we would run and how cool it would be if we would run those plays and actually play the game. We're not going to do it because we don't want to fail, but we're going to talk about what it would be like. And we're going to get together. We're going to hear what other teams are doing and we're going to celebrate what they're doing. And we're going to take offerings and give them money to go do what they do better. You want to sign up for that team? Now, all these young 18-year-old high school students will be like, uh, no. Many of you have just explained Christianity. I'm on the team, and here's my Christianity. I come to church once a week. I um, try to not mess up, and I don't, I don't want to actually go out and engage the world because I might get dirty. We, we talk, and we memorize some scripture, and we celebrate, and we, we hear what missionaries are doing, we hear what other people are doing, we're like, oh, that's so awesome, they give me some money to help you out. And the Christian life is lame for you, because you're living one that you were never meant to live. You've been called out and brought in to be sent out, and it's in the sending out where you will find life and joy. See, for whatever reason, many of us have bought into this idea of passive Christianity. And, and we, we had our, our city group Monday night, the one I'm a part of, or Sunday night, the one I'm a part of, and a bunch of us men were on the back porch, and we're talking, and we, and we started talking about why are we losing young men? Like, if you look around the audience, the, the, kind of the, the age of 18, or 18 to like 25, 26, um, it's mainly females in the church. And we had this talk of why are we losing young men, and why are you not, young men not engaging in Christianity in the church? And as I've wrestled with that more this week, I wonder if, because young men are like, I want to do something. I just want to come and sit in a church and try to be good. I want to do something. I listened to a Navy SEAL, a podcast, his name is Jocko, um, real cool dude. Here's what he says. He says, young men are created for mission. And I wonder if part of the reason we're using, losing young men it's because we're preaching a passive Christianity. And young men are like, no thanks. I got something better to do. You were drawn, called out, and drawn in to be, to be sent out. That's why identity is so important. Um, side note, right after Easter, the week after Easter, I'm going to do a 101, Hill City 101 class. And, and the goal uh, the goal for that is we have a lot of people here that don't know the gospel. Many of it's you. Like, I don't know this thing. I've been in church my whole life. I don't know what you mean by gospel. I don't, know me. I don't feel set free, and I don't feel like God loves me. Um, we're going to meet for a few weeks. We're after church. We'll do lunch and everything. We'll talk about it next week. But some of you need to jump into that because it comes from identity. You'll never be free to do God's mission until you understand you're on the team and you're loved by him. So you've been called out of darkness, Peter says. 
that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness. Hill City, do you remember your darkness? Do you remember what it was like to live in darkness? He'll say, are, are you around people? Can, can you feel the darkness? Can you feel the brokenness? He says, you've been called out of this darkness. You've been saved and God calls you his. And now you've been told, like, go proclaim to all the people that are still in darkness they're still struggling. Go proclaim the greatness of yourself. No, of the one who called you out of that darkness. Now, here's what you're thinking, a bunch of you. All right, Hood, I, I hear you, but I'm not extraordinary. I'm just an average dude. I don't know a bunch, I don't, I don't know a lot of scripture. I haven't, been, I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm not gifted. I, I'm, I'm just average. I'm not extraordinary. I was hoping you'd say that because I got a story for you. You girls, come on up. So many, uh, much of what keeps, like so, because I've talked to so many of you want to be on mission for God. There's just this idea of I don't know enough. I'm not extraordinary. And so I want to tell, uh, have these girls tell their story with you. And this is uh, Scott's mic here. Thank you. So um, this is Molly, Molly and Allison. Um, and both of them have been on a journey over the past uh, few months. And I want you to hear their story. And, and the idea as we talk about this is I've been called out of darkness to proclaim he who's called me out. Um, so Molly, we're going to start with you. So your journey to faith, we'll give a snapshot of this real quick. Um, go back a few months, six, eight months. Uh, you, were, you were broken. You were in darkness. You knew it. You were searching, but you were also hiding. Talk about that time. Yeah, so I would say that all my life I was kind of running from myself, which you guys know that doesn't really work. Um, so I found myself searching for things, and I was finding my identity in all these um, achievements or people or, you know, tangible things like my grades or um, soccer or different things like that. And so I found myself searching, but in the meantime, I was hiding. So I wasn't really finding fulfillment in anything. And you, and you were in darkness. You would go to random churches, but it was like sneak in the back. Don't want anyone to yeah, see me. Yeah, so like connection table, I was like so good at avoiding you guys, <laughs> greeters. You guys were my worst enemy. I didn't want to leave a trace. Right. So. And so you're playing soccer at Missouri State, and um, you have a teammate, Sarah Sabo. And over the, the past year, year and a half, talk about your friendship with her and, and what that was. So about a year and a half ago, um, Sarah and I started getting closer. Um, she was one of my teammates nothing more at that time, um, but she started getting interested in my life and just asking me to come to a coffee shop and hang out, um, share in some of my weekly stressors, weekly struggles, defeats, that kind of thing. Um, so over the course of like a few months, we just had regular conversations. Um, and I don't, neither of us really knew what we were getting into at that time, but 
we just started deeply caring for each other um, and, and sharing in some of our struggles and our brokenness. And now she's not, just to be clear, she's not preaching to you. You're not like, she's not, hey, I have three points from the book of Romans. You need to know none of that, right? She's just being there and being a friend. But you're seeing something in her. What, what do you see? What is, and you didn't know it as God at that time, but what was God doing as you're, as you're talking with her and seeing her? So in just being around her and um, kind of interacting and knowing the choices that she made day to day in her life, I knew that there was something different about her. Um, and I knew that she just had this rock that she constantly um, depended on. And I wanted that, but I knew, you know, the choices I had made. And I felt that there was this impossible gap between how she was living and how I was living. Um, and so I just felt, I guess a great way to say would be shameful and hopeless um, about that future. And so then God kind of steps in and says, okay, it's time for things to change. And you had no idea what was going to happen. So God, but God, this idea of God drawing you out. God's going to draw you out of the darkness. What did that look like? So about 10 months ago, um, I started going into exile by God. Um, I felt myself losing all these things that I had mentioned a minute ago about soccer or school, um, a relationship. So I experienced two season-ending injuries within one year, um, taking away soccer. I ended a relationship that I had had all throughout college, and... Um, I had graduated from school. So all these things that I was finding my fulfillment and my purpose in were sort of just taken away. And so I felt this huge void in my life and I felt completely unfulfilled, like emptiness. Um, and so during that time, I started to really depend on Sarah. Like I, I really started to, you know, depend on that friendship. And that was when faith sort of started to wiggle its way into our conversation. <laughs> yeah. And so she, because you couldn't travel now with the team because you yeah. hurt your, your knee, you can start coming to Hill City. Right. So it's amazing how God kind of took out that um, source of time in my life. So on September 25th, I remember specifically the day, I came to Hill City for the first time. And it was like the first time I had ever entered into a church. And I was like, I don't have to hide. And, like, I can't explain, like, why I felt that way. Um, but, yeah, it was absolutely changing. So I remember um, that day Daniel talked about being in Christ. And he held this Bible, and he was like, this is Jesus. And he took someone's phone and credit card, and he stuck it, Nathan's, yeah, he stuck it in the Bible, and he goes, this is you. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. And I remember being like... <laughs> that's baloney. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> and so, but I liked that. I mean, it sounded amazing. And I was like, well, he's a pastor, so he has to know what he's talking about. And so I kept coming back and <laughs> no, I kept right. coming back. <laughs> Naive there. <yeah. laughs> so, so God, God starts basically everything that you had put your hope in. God's like, yeah, I'm going to take that out of her life. And then you start coming to Hill City, and then Sarah said, and then you and Sarah say, well, let's start, we, need, we should start a Bible study for our teammates, right? Yeah, so we um, were toying with the idea of starting this Bible study for our teammates um, this past spring. And um, she was like, you know, let's meet with Daniel, and he can give us some direction. And I was like, okay, like, sure, yeah, sounds good. So she makes this appointment, we we're going to meet at Panera. 
And so I walk in, you know, you walk through the little bread tunnel where you're tempted by all the bagels. <laughs> and I come out of the corner and he's in that booth, like, you know, that one, right, that's you see first when you walk through the door. And I was like, oh my gosh, she, she's not here yet. So I divert <laughs> into the bathroom and I'm like, okay, like bring, get it together. Like, he's not going to know you're a terrible person. Like I had to talk, I was like, I can't be around his like, he's a righteous person. Like I can't. And so I kind of have to like walk myself off of the ledge there. And then I come out and I go and sit and I'm just like writhing in silence. Cause Sable's late, of course. She's probably not even here yet. Yeah, so, so we kind of sit there and we talked about. Yeah, so we're stuff. talking about the Bible study that they want to do. And so, and I, I could kind of sense like just this weight. And I, so I just looked at her and I was like, so what's your story? And it was just like, oh, I just kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of came apart. And it was, and it was through that conversation that I encouraged, uh, I encouraged them. Um, let me grab it here because many of you ask about it. To go with this little green book, it's called The Gospel-Centered Life by um, Thune, T-H-U-N-E, which I would recommend um, for any of you. So I, I encourage them, like, why don't you start walking through that? Because she had no idea what the gospel was. Yeah. She thought God hated her because of her sin. Uh, and so they start walking through this process of her growing in the gospel, and things change for you. Yeah, so I went from having this one picture of faith and religion and, you know, I viewed God's design as like these optional shackles that Christians could put on or put off to being like this beautiful design um, for our lives. And I had this new beautiful picture of Jesus and it was like, you know, grace. I started seeing life through this gospel lens of like everyone has these different stories that are, you know, just an interconnected web of situations or issues that lead us to sin and it's really just digging into those issues that cause us to you know live in freedom and so that was really kind of yeah. when I when things started changing for me yeah and she got baptized and then very quickly this idea of called out of darkness right and then called you know drawn into God which, which God totally drew her, drew her to himself and now this idea of of sinned out and God started to stir in you like because the darkness wasn't very removed, and you knew the darkness. Yeah, and so I had, I had struggled a lot with sharing this area or these areas of shame in my life and my past, and I just thought, you know, I will never. I wouldn't even say that in an empty room by myself. Like I hadn't put these things into words. I hadn't talked through them with anyone, and so understanding how grace operates, I was willing to talk to them um, about it. I shared it with Sabo, and it was like pulling out a splinter. It was like this immediate source of relief and healing had begun. Um, and so I felt this stirring in me, you know, that transformation really caused me to want to share this. And so I felt so relieved and I started praying like, God, please put someone into my life um, who I can share this joy with. And literally I have it in my journal from January 4th. I started praying for someone to come into my life who was broken and in need of Jesus. Okay, so she starts praying that. And then Allison, during that time, uh, kind of catch us up on where, are, where you are in your life. So in the midst of this, I feel like I'm getting called into isolation as well. I was feeling like I was being pulled into solitude. All these things that I was planning on not running track and field anymore. Um, all my relationships were kind of falling apart. I had written in my journal, like, I don't know what you're doing, but I am so scared. I feel so alone right now. And I started just praying, like, God, I need someone. I need someone to pull me out of this darkness. I, I need a lighthouse. Yeah. 
so just so she starts coming to Hill City a couple of times, and it's just like hopeless, but I know I need something. You don't know what that is, right? right. But that, God's definitely like called you out of darkness. And then talk about Super Bowl weekend. So like I had flirt, flirted with the idea of coming to church, and I just had never committed. But it just so happens on February 5th, I was at Hill City the day of all the baptisms. And ironically, that was the day that Molly was baptized. Um, I remember sitting out there where you all are, and I started reading her testimony. And I was just so touched by her story. I knew nothing about her, but I remember just wanting to know the depth of the words that were on the page. And I remember when she was being baptized, she held her heart, and I was just like, ah, I I wonder what that heart went through to put her in those waters. Mm. I was just drawn to it. And then um, that night, there was a Super Bowl party, and I almost chickened out. I was like, I'm not going to know anyone here. Like, oh, and then I decided to go and Molly was there. And I noticed that Molly just had this outgoing creative love. It was just contagious and infectious. And if you know Molly, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I just remember thinking like, I want whatever she has. Like, that's awesome. And so this is kind of creepy and embarrassing. And I didn't even tell her this till earlier (laughs) this week, but I started praying for Molly. Um, I even wrote it in my journal. I was like, Truthfully, I just want to become friends with Molly Brewer, and I want to study with her and learn from her. And uh, I put, bless her heart, and all those were baptized. Let this only be the beginning. I think she's my lighthouse. And then um, the crazy thing is, the next day, it was Monday, and I'm sitting in class, and uh, she had been organizing this Hill City Marriage Conference. And our yeah, yeah. So let so let me jump in. So Molly, Emily, and I are doing this marriage conference, and Molly. Um, she got saved. She's a business major. And so Emily and I said, hey, will you do our operations for us, all the detail stuff that I'm not good at? And so she did that for us and was rocking it. And but So we got this marriage conference of 20 adult couples. Many of you are in here. And Molly's like, okay, I don't want to go and be the only single person there. I got to find someone. So she kept asking people to come with her and, and no one was available. And so that night at the Super Bowl party, we talked for like three minutes, just the three of us, hey, what's up? And so Allison leaves and writes that in her journal, praying that Molly would and her could become friends. I happened to go up to Molly that night. I was like, hey, Allison said she's a, a marketing major. What if you ask her to come to that retreat? And she's like, well, I don't know her. That'd be kind of weird to ask her to come to a marriage retreat. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you never know. And so this is what, so the night that Allison writes in her journal, praying that her and Molly become friends, Molly and I are talking like, hey, why don't you invite Allison And then she texts Allison the next day and says, hey, you want to help me with this? So I'm sitting in class Monday night, and I get this text from Molly. And she's like, hey, I'm working on this marriage conference. Do you want to come? No thought. I said, yes, I would love to go. Like, I just knew that God was like, yeah, this is where you need to be. And then all week long, I am drafting this text to bail. I'm like, (laughs) I prayed this, and I just remember thinking, like, what are you thinking? Like, God, this is not what I meant by that. Like, marriage conference with a stranger, his pastor, and his wife. Like, what are you getting me into? I told Molly, I was like, I took one step toward God, and he just ran at me with 37 right there. But sure enough, I I waited out, and Friday, Molly comes and picks me up. And ironically, we live in the exact same apartment complex. And I knew nothing about Molly. I knew that she had played soccer and she was smart. But other than that, I knew nothing. And I got in her car and we just immediately, we started talking about life. Um, Just our families and some of the impactful moments that had gotten us to where we were. But nothing crazy. Yeah, and so then the conference goes on. And and these two sat in the back as we're doing the conference because she was doing a lot of details for us. And 
What was God to, doing to you? Even as we were talking about marriage. Right. So me and Molly are sitting in the back of this marriage conference. And I don't know if Emily Hood is in here, but I am so thankful for her because she was just super vulnerable. And she just said several things that just collided with my heart. Um, things that I had probably needed to hear for years. And it, it just changed my life. Um, so I learned so much from that conference. But then me and Molly started going through this green book. Um, we were sitting outside the chateau and I kept referring to this time in my life where I, I had hit rock bottom. I was like, this is my shatter story. This is that thing that I just couldn't get over. Um, and Molly just looks at me and she's like, you know what, that, that thing that you keep bouncing around, like, let's talk about it. Like, we need to talk about it. And I just go into panic attack mode. Like, I just start sweating. Like, my pits are sweating. I start shaking. I'm like, this is gonna, this is gonna hurt. I even wrote in my journal, I was like, I was getting ready to just peel off a layer that I had never even put into words, something that I had hidden so deep, you know? And I knew it was gonna hurt. So I get all ready and I just said, you know what, Molly, I'm just gonna start from the beginning. So I just start talking. And I get done, I just kind of breathe and it's just sitting in the air and I'm like, all right, brace yourself because this is gonna hurt. Whatever she's gonna hit you with, it's probably gonna hurt. She's gonna throw out some Bible term or some <laughs> verse or some fix for me. And Molly just looks up and she goes, you know, I have so much compassion for you. And I, I will never forget that moment. Because um, I was waiting for this judgment or this, uh, whoa, like something's wrong with you. But she goes, you know what, I, I love you. And that was an encounter with grace that just changed my world. And so then they start walking through for the next few weeks, what is the gospel? And the gospel's been transforming you. You're going to get baptized next Sunday. Um, but talk about just what God's done in the past couple of months. Yeah, so... Um, this weekend, Molly had mentioned reconciliation. It was a word that I had kind of heard of, but I just didn't really know what it meant. And um, that night, I was just restless. I was just in my bed, just like, reconciliation, what does that mean? And I just, I could feel like I was just holding this umbrella. I was just hiding behind this heart that was just full of shame and guilt. And I wasn't embracing and accepting this love and this mercy that is just lavished over me, that has been this entire time. And I just... I just remember I was just turning away from God. I didn't think I was good enough. And that night I just accepted it. Yeah. Awesome. It's so cool. Look what their stories have in common. Both of them were searching and broken and searching for something, but hiding, feeling they were not worthy. Um, both were pulled into exile by God. Similar stories of just everything they put their weight on, just taken out. Um, one, one phrase we use a lot, brokenness precedes redemption. So much God will, will break us to draw us out and then build us back up. Um, the providence of God is so evident here. From the fact of Allison praying that she could have a friendship with Molly to Molly and I talking, hey, why don't you invite her? And just like, it had nothing to do with Molly, really. And the Lord just used her as an instrument, but all God working. And then, and then here's what I want to key in for all of us. That God uses imperfect unextraordinary people. A brand new believer is still learning, but all she, all she knows is like, I was in darkness and now I'm not, and I got to tell someone. And God used her to walk alongside someone with a very similar story. And that's the mission. And so may we never say, well, I'm not extraordinary. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. Because either do you, Right? But God has used her. And then next week, we had to celebrate Allison 
getting baptized and proclaiming her faith. And we've already had the conversation, like now God's sending her out. And who does she need to go proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to? God draws us out, draws us to himself, and then sends us out on mission. Thank you all for sharing. Yeah. So God has, it. we'll wrap up here, God has an end in mind. He has a mission for you, and the mission is not just that you would get saved and go to heaven when you die. Here's the mission, the, the end that God has. It comes from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. And the writer John's looking to the future. This hasn't happened yet. This is what will happen. And John sees this, and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, from all tribes and all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is God's end. Worshippers around the throne from every people group and every nation and every color. And as believers, He's called you out and it's by, invited you in and says to the you, go get worshipers. Now, I'm going to do it through you. Actually, God's the one that does it. Just go talk, proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into the light that you may proclaim. Hill City, may we, I don't want to be on this side of the swing of evangelism where we get phone books and rip them and tell people to get saved. But I also don't want to be way over here where we're good, nice people, but never proclaim the excellencies. May we proclaim the excellence of him who called us. Feeding the poor and helping widows is great, but it's not the mission. No, it's an avenue to the mission. A lot of you volunteering at Rock and Ribs in a couple weeks. It's great. We want to go serve. We want to volunteer. But that's not the mission. That's not the end. It's an avenue to the end, which is proclamation, investing in people. Having non-Christian friends is not the mission. It's the avenue to which we may proclaim the excellence. A bunch of you, which we love, are doing block parties in your neighborhood. And like uh, on Halloween, you did big trick-or-treat things. And you're out investing. I love it. Keep doing it. But it's not the end that you may proclaim the gospel. A new phrase I'm going to start using a lot around here that we're going to start using a lot. Measure everything in life change. See, we're a church plan and we could very easily start doing a bunch of things that really have no impact. And one of the things we want to do is we're going to start measuring everything by life change. And I would encourage you, measure your life by life change. Now, be a hard worker, be successful, run a great business, achieve great things. But as you do, add a different measurement. As I do these things, I'm going to invest in the people around me and watch God change their life. I'm just going to invest in them. I don't have to know everything. I'm just going to care for them, share for them, share with them, share my story with them. There's a great passage out of the... Out of, uh, out of the New, New Testament, the Gospels, and, and it's the book of John. And so if you remember, Jesus walks up this blind man who's been in darkness, that literal darkness, and he heals him. He 
makes his eyes come open, and now this blind man sees. Well, this is a problem for the religious leaders because they're kind of wanting to get rid of Jesus. And a person that was blind and now sees kind of put a kink in their plan. And so they bring this blind man before the Sanhedrin, before all the religious leaders, and they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out, like, okay, something happened here. They're trying to find a hole in the story, and they start grilling this blind man. Like, who did this? What did he say to you? What happened? And the blind man tells them the story, and like, I'll just get out of here. And eventually they, they talk, and like, okay, this is a problem. So they bring this blind, blind man back in. So now you have this guy who was blind. You can see he's in front of the top religious leaders, Jewish leaders at the time, and they're grilling him, like, tell us what happened. Who was this guy? Are you following him? Are you a disciple? And here's what the blind man says, and I love it. He says this, I don't know what happened. All I know is I was blind, and now I see. That's it. And I'm going to encourage many of you, that needs to be your story. I don't know everything. I don't know if I could tell you from the book of Romans exactly what God did to walk me from death. I don't know. I don't know all that. All I know is I was in darkness, and now I'm walking out of darkness. Many of you, this needs to be your story. I don't know what happened. All I know is I was depressed every day, and now I'm starting to walk in freedom. I don't know what happened, but I had a big house, a Mercedes, a nice boat, and I was miserable. And I started encountering the gospel, and now all of a sudden I have a peace and a joy, and it's not based on those things. Some of you young guys, I was getting girls every night. But I was miserable. I'd wake up miserable. I talked to a guy like that this week. I wake up miserable. And now I'm experiencing the gospel and I have joy. Some of you, I don't know, but all I know is I was climbing the corporate ladder and I never had peace. And now I found peace. Girls, I was bouncing from guy to guy to guy and I was broken. But now, may we take on the story of the blame? I don't know what God did, but all I know is I was blind and now I see him. May we share that story and watch God as we share our story, as we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of that darkness. May we watch people around us be brought into the light. And here, if you're bored with Christianity, jump on that game because that's a lot more fun than coming and sitting in church and trying not to sin. That we may proclaim the excellence of him who called us out, that we may be with people as an identity of sent people. Listen, I'm not asking you to go hand out tracts and go walk up to people, hey, if you die tonight, you're going to... I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to be around people and just share your story. I don't know, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. We would measure everything and life changed. Let's close in verse 10 of 1 Peter. He says this, Once you were not a people. That's when we were in darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy and you did nothing. You did nothing for it. So as we take communion today, may we celebrate the one that called us out of darkness. And some of us need to remember the darkness. But we celebrate the one that called us out of darkness. And as we take communion, may we proclaim the excellencies of him that called us out of that darkness. Let's pray together.